Welcome and thank you so much for accepting the invitation to join this Bible study and reflection for June 2nd, 2021. Please feel free to share this with family and friends because I truly believe when God's word is sent out, it never returns empty. Spending time in personal as well as community Bible study will help us all grow into our church's vision of learning, loving, living God's Word. The Bible is truly a unified story that leads to Jesus. I view it as an incredible story of God coming to earth in a completely divine nature as well as completely human nature in the person of Jesus. The story of his life, death, and resurrection is the most incredible story ever told, and we are part of it. Now let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and most merciful God, we thank you for visiting your people in person 2,000 years ago. We thank you for the teachings of your Son, Jesus Christ, that both comfort and convict us and invite us into a new way of life Jesus revealed as kingdom living. Let us have the eyes to see, ears to listen to your word. Also, open our hearts to follow you by serving others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, Pastor Metz shared a podcast sermon with me. It was a sermon that John Piper had preached to a group of 18 to 20-year-olds. The title of his sermon was Boasting Only in the Cross, a title inspired by Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, John Piper started off his sermon with an attention-getter comparison. He tells of a story of two women, one over 80 years old and the other one pushing 80. One had never been married and had a long career in nursing, and the other was a retired medical doctor. They were both members of John Piper's church at the time. They were serving as missionaries among the sick and the poor in Cameroon, which is located in Central Africa. As they were going from village to village one day, the brakes gave way in their car, and they went off a cliff and were killed instantly. Upon learning this news of their deaths, John Piper asked his congregation if they thought this was a tragedy. They had, in essence, spent their retirement years glorifying Christ in remote villages. And now, for John Piper's attention-getter comparison, he read an article from Reader's Digest titled, Start Now, Retire Early, that was written in February of 1998. It's a story about a couple that took early retirement. He was 59 and she was 51. 
It goes on to say that they retired in Florida and cruised on their 30-foot boat, played golf, and collected seashells. John Piper's point was that society spends billions of dollars every year trying to sell the American dream of accumulation as opposed to sharing your gifts and talents with others. He goes on to say that he could only imagine when the two elderly women met Jesus, there was much rejoicing, rejoicing and discussions about their missions, and he could only imagine that when the couple that retired early met Jesus, before Jesus had a chance to speak, they would have been bragging about their shell collection and their golf swing. Well, this paints a very stark and unsettling contrast. Not only is it unsettling, but convicting as well. It sort of puts the term eternal perspective into context. Are we living just for today in ourselves, or are we preparing for eternity by serving others? Typically, we Americans tend to think of retirement planning as a purely financial component. There needs to be another box to check when planning for retirement other than just the financial box. We need to ask ourselves if we are in the retirement game solely for ourselves or a blend of enjoyment as well as serving others. Using John Piper's stark contrast, I'm not advocating that everyone become missionaries and that no one enjoy retirement, but a blend of service while enjoying the fruits of your labor is doable. I actually have family members and friends that have retired early and, yes, spent time on boats as well as golfing, but they have not forgotten the needs of others. Just for the record, I don't have any friends or family members that I know of that have a seashell collection. There are a couple of sayings that I've used before, and I'm sure you've heard before as well, and they go something like this. When you die, you can't take it with you, and there is no trailer hitch on a hearse. Jesus is not interested in how much money we have, but he is interested in what we do with what we have. What we do for others in service to Christ will be eternally celebrated, and what we have in material wealth will be of no benefit in eternity. Our scripture today is one of Jesus' parables, and in it he sets forth an example of what not to do when storing up earthly wealth and planning for retirement. One of my resources I used today was titled Social Science Commentary on the Synoptic Gospels. Included in this commentary on what it meant to be rich 2,000 years ago, and I'm going to quote from this commentary. Profit-making and the acquisition of wealth were automatically assumed to be the result of extortion or fraud. The notion of an honest rich man was a first-century oxymoron. Note that there never was a middle class in antiquity. Attempts to read the middle class experience of our modern society back into the New Testament are simply outdated. To be labeled rich was therefore a social and moral statement as much as an economic one. 
It meant the power or capacity to take from someone weaker what was rightfully not yours. Being rich was synonymous with being greedy. By the same token, being poor was to be unable to defend what was yours. It meant falling below the status at which one was born. It was to be defenseless without recourse. It will be helpful to keep this in mind when you hear the reading and understand how convicting the parable would have been to the person that tried to get Jesus involved in a family dispute regarding inheritance. Now, our reading today comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. It's titled, The Parable of the Rich Fool. Now, the beginning of chapter 12 begins with a huge crowd, I think thousands, that had gathered around Jesus, but were told he began speaking only to his disciples. He is sharing warnings and encouragements with them. We can only assume that this individual in the crowd was listening as well and decided to butt in and ask Jesus to get involved in a family dispute. Here is the reading. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Whoa. What made this guy a fool? Here's a definition of foolishness. Foolishness is characterized by thoughts, behaviors, attitudes, or judgments that lack sense, prudence, and discretion. Foolish behavior may be immoral or dangerous and is often used for self-destructive tendencies. Foolishness stands in contrast to wisdom, prudence, and sound judgment. You know, the person that tried to lure Jesus into arbitrating a family dispute got a lot more than he bargained for. He got schooled on what it means to be greedy. Jesus let him know in no uncertain terms that you can't take it with you. When Paul was writing to his young friend Timothy, he gave him some advice regarding money. Paul has been misquoted quite often, and I'm sure you've heard one say that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not only untrue, but it also misquotes what Paul said. Listen to what Paul had to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, all I got to say is thank you, Paul. And I hope we all understand that money in and of itself is not the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money is the problem. In our reading from Luke, it says that the ground of the rich man yielded an abundant harvest. What made the ground rich enough to yield an abundant harvest? Did the man do his due diligence and search for rich ground before he made the purchase of his land, or did he amend it and work the soil to make it so fruitful? You know, it really doesn't make any difference, and I think the point Jesus was making there was that the guy had a bumper crop. The question is not, how did he make that bumper crop? But Jesus wanted to make a point that the guy had no intention of sharing his crop with others. It begs the question, how much is enough? In this extreme case, the rich fool's answer would have been all of it. I'm reminded of a book I read titled, Lessons from a Third Grade Dropout, and I highly recommend you read it. It's written by Dr. Rick Grigsby in honor of his dad. He writes, there was a question his dad used to ask him, and the question was, how you living? At times, I have to look in the mirror and ask myself, how you living, Arthur? And what are you doing to help others? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are our provider, and you gave all you had to give for us. As my dearly departed friend Rhett Wolf used to say during his family blessings, Lord, let us remember the needs of others and help us to do something about it. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.